0: Well, good morning. Um, I've I have greatly enjoyed going through the Book of Ruth. We have one more week after today, um, but I told Paul earlier in the week, uh, earlier last week, that uh, I'm going to miss this because the narrative just just flows out, and you you get your three point sermon like without having to do any work, which again makes me sound lazy and incompetent and i i want you to know that that's not the case i just still i still work really hard on this text but it, it just it's just all there and it's the chapters are just divided so perfectly it's just everything's so easy to follow uh, I'm not saying that other passages aren't easy to follow, but sometimes when you're trying to put a sermon together and you're making your points and you're coming, you know, you've got to work a little bit harder and you've got to really dig in a bit more. But, you know, this one you could dig in so easily because, the, you know, it's like one word will be repeated over and over in the chapter and you think, well, there's your theme. Uh, so I praise God and thank God for whoever wrote the book of Ruth, of which we have no idea who it was. Um, but they did excellent work. Thank you, author. Um, Okay, so we are now in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. That's page 264, if you have the ESV Pew Bible in front of you. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first.'" and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if He will redeem you good, let Him do it. But if he, will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the things the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, and he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we've already asked that you would be with us, that you would help us to pay close attention to this, your word, that, Father, these themes would come through so clearly and that they would, they would resound with the spirit within us, that we would rejoice in these things, that this is good news that we would see you more clearly. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we focused on this word, blessing. Blessing. What did it mean to be blessed or to be a blessing? Understanding that it was uh, uh, to ask God to give success or being used by God for success. And today we're shifting slightly from blessing the word that we were seeing repeated over and over again, to this word, rest, rest. What does the Bible mean when it talks about rest? It's a topic that is repeated many, many times over throughout Scripture. All right, so let's think about that. How how do we see it working out in Scripture? There is rest from labor, as we saw Ruth takes a rest after working hard during the day. Uh, At harvest time. Then there is rest from worrying, rest from fear and doubt. Naomi wanted Ruth and Orpah to rest when she told them to go back to their mothers. That's actually the word that she uses there. That they would find rest, meaning that they, they wouldn't put themselves in this uh, uh, uncertain position or, or doubtful position if they were to follow her to Bethlehem, which they both wanted to do initially. And she says, "No, you go. I want you to go and find rest. Go to your mother's homes where you're known, where you'll probably remarry, you'll have children. So that was her desire." In that terminology. But then we think of a third sense in which rest is used, and this is we think about the Lord resting on the seventh day of creation. Now, does God rest on the seventh day of creation because he's exhausted physically? Well, no. He rested from his act of creation that he had performed on the previous six days. And that leads us into the fact that because in the Genesis account, If you read through the Genesis account and it comes to the seventh day, there's a phrase that is not repeated that's repeated for the other six days where it says, and there was morning and there was evening. And that's not on the seventh day. And that could imply that that rest that takes place on the seventh day continues, right? So God is upholding the universe by his word, but now there is a Sabbath rest to be entered into and that rest is an eternal rest. So in a sense, all of mankind is seeking rest. We all need physical rest from labor. That's the way our bodies are created. We all desire rest in terms of security and, and, and freedom from worry and fear and doubt and uncertainty. And we are all looking for rest eternal security we are all looking and searching for that eternal rest because we are image bearers and eternity has been set in our hearts as ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us now some will be conquered by sin choosing to go their own way and others will be saved by the grace of god And this book is dealing with all of those different forms of rest in different ways. Now, the primary usage in this third chapter of the book of Ruth is dealing with the seeking of rest, rest from fear and anxiety and uncertainty. As the uh, New American Standard Bible puts it, the word they use instead of rest is security. Shall I find security for you, Naomi says of Ruth. And here's the amazing thing. These characters are not seeking their own security. They're not seeking their own rest. But they are looking after one another. And so we pick up in chapter 3 where Naomi is asking Ruth, Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. We see that Naomi is not just thinking of herself. She hasn't cast Ruth aside. She's trying to look after her daughter-in-law who left everything in Moab to go with her into a foreign land and was seeking to serve her mother-in-law. So what is leading to this conversation that they're now, now having, right? What's happened in that time frame between chapter 2 and chapter 3? Well, it appears that some time has passed, and Naomi had thought that by now Boaz would have acted on his kinsman-redeemer nature and restored the lands of Elimelech back to Ruth and Naomi, or at least married Uh, Ruth and changed her trajectory in life. Remember, he had showed so much promise in the previous chapter, but but things have slowed down. They've come to this slow point, right? So this is sort of the climax of the story. If you're looking at a storyline, right, what's going to happen? They're not moving along the way that Naomi had hoped that things would be moving along. So what will she do? And if you remember from chapter 2, That Ruth is the one that took the initiative and told Naomi that she wanted to support them financially. She wanted to go and do work, right? And we talked about a theology of work. She wanted to go in the fields and glean uh, as God's law had uh, allowed for uh, the poor and the destitute to glean uh, from the harvest as a blessing to them. And now it is Naomi's turn to take the initiative here. This is one of those faith-in-action moments. Because, you know, sometimes faith is being still and and patient and waiting on God to move, and sometimes faith is being bold and and moving forward. And I think the difference is that these, uh, which to choose requires a great deal of discernment, a great deal of discernment. It requires asking of the Lord, at praying that a way forward would be made abundantly clear. We think of, you know, David who takes action against Goliath, who is insulting the, the living God and the armies of the living God, and, and, and no one was doing anything. And so he sort of steps forward and says, well, someone's got to do something about this. Well, we think about Joseph who, who waited patiently in prison, waiting for that opportune moment that, that God would make abundantly clear. So those are opposite situations. And of course we have examples of people who uh, should have waited but acted and were impatient. We think of Abraham having Ishmael with Hagar. That was an impatience. That was a, a distrust of what God had promised. That was a sort of taking things into his own hands. And we have the opposite. We have people who are inactive when they should have done something. We think of Aaron and the people Uh, The the Israelites making uh, an idol of gold, or we think about David who doesn't go into battle when he should have and ends up into temptation with Bathsheba. And so there's wisdom that is required for decisions such as these. I'm sure you have all felt these, uh, whether to act or to wait, at some point in your life. And you've had to come to that conclusion Naomi recognizes that nothing is going to change unless an action is taken. So she steps forward in the process. And this is our first point as we're following along the narrative. Again, they're not uh, terribly clever points. They're just following along in the story. And the first point we're calling a cunning plan. A cunning plan. Naomi realizes that something is preventing Boaz from performing his duties as a relative or a redeemer. Now, let me explain to you what, the, uh, what these Israelite rules look like. In Leviticus chapter 25, uh, 25, we read about redemption of property. This is very sort of legal language here in Leviticus, this law. The land, this is what the Lord says. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Interesting. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land if your brother becomes poor If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Okay, these laws are in place to protect people from falling into the poverty trap. This was God's good law that looked after his people, even If and when they fell on hard times. Now, by contrast, in the 1840s and into 1850, in Ireland, the majority of people were sort of small towns, small village farmers. And most people were were farming and and were paying rent to these middlemen who were charging really high uh, rates. And then they would pay forward to landowners who probably had never even seen parts of their property. But then in the 1840s and into 1850, then you have the Irish potato famine that hit and and wiped out all of these crops. And so many were really left destitute and, and needed to escape. They were unable to pay their rent. And so many left for America at this point. And if you know your U.S. history, that was just a few years before the American Civil War, and there are stories of Irishmen from the South and the North shooting at one another because they would carry their flags for their state, and the Irishmen would always put the clover on their flag, so it was easily identified. But there were stories of when the north and the south would be shooting at each other, and then when one would retreat, the Irish from the opposing side would stop, and they would let out this haunting wail of sadness. Because they had all left a really terrible situation, and now they found themselves at war with one another. A more terrible situation. Now, all of that to say... How gracious is God that He put these laws of redemption in place to protect His people? Can you tell that I studied the Civil War in college? <laughs> I've just been waiting to use those examples. Oh, perfect. But, but here's another thing. It's also showing not just the protection that God puts in place, but it's showing us the importance of land in this time period and in the scriptures. And when we think of land, we think of rest. Because land was symbolic of the favor of God inheriting the promised land, right? The Israelites who complained and, and, and grumbled and, and worshipped false idols, they did not inherit and receive the promised land, The land represents blessing. It represents the favor of God. The land is where the Israelites were to find rest. Now back to our story. And this is the law, Leviticus 25, that Naomi is hoping would initiate her plan. Her plan is to have Ruth go to Boaz and essentially present herself as willing and ready for marriage. My guess is that Ruth has probably been dressed in all black uh, since the death of Malon, her husband. That's the custom. In fact, it's still the custom in many parts of the world, especially the Middle East. My, My aunts still wear all black since the passing of their husbands. But Naomi tells Ruth to wash and anoint herself, probably with perfume, and to put on a cloak, so probably putting on clothing that's not the black, and then to go and find Boaz and observe him without him seeing you, and then take notice of where he lies down. Does that not sound strange? (laughs) Why would she have to do that? Well... It's because if she happens to go and present herself in this form to someone else, let's say she sees Boaz and then goes and does something else and then comes back and she's kind of looking around in the darkness and kind of lays down at the feet of someone else, that's not going to look good. It would be humiliating, it would be dangerous, and it would cause people to ask questions about the nature of their relationship. And because these characters are people of high character, as we've talked about in previous weeks, they don't want to even give a sniff of something that would look or feel immoral. So, she does these things. Then Naomi tells her to uncover Boaz's feet. Again, what is this? This is very strange, you know, and, and, and some people think this is a sexual thing. Well, let me clarify some of this. Some, some uh, commentators think that it's, uh, the uncovering of the feet was so that he would wake up. So the cold air would get to his feet, and it would cause him to wake up so that he could recognize that she was there, it's the middle of the night. It's great. Very well could be the case. Others say that this is, it, is, it, it carries great symbolism. It's symbolic I'm not sure, and I don't want to read too much into it, and I know it sounds very strange. Here's my best guess, if it is a symbolic representation, is that it represents Ruth's desire to be covered under Boaz's protection, and the the uncovering represents the fact that at the moment, she and Naomi are not protected. They are uncovered. That's my best guess. Don't read too much into that. All that Naomi has uh, told, her, told Ruth to do, she has done. But then Ruth takes an additional step here in the narrative. Boaz asks who is there because obviously it's midnight and it's dark. And she tells him, it is Ruth your servant. Ruth your servant. Not This is Ruth the Moabite from Moab as she has been described in almost every other place in this section. So she's not drawing attention to where she's from. She's saying, it is I, Ruth, your servant. And then boldly, and this is our second point, a bold request. Then boldly she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And at this point she has just made a marriage proposal. And I probably have a list of jokes I could make at this point, but I will refrain because you wouldn't laugh anyway. But if you think about it, who is looking after who here? Naomi sends Ruth down to essentially have, to to make sure that Ruth is protected because she is showing Hesed loving kindness for her daughter in law. But Ruth takes it a step further and asks for marriage, which would protect not only her, but also her mother in law. And so now Ruth is displaying Hesed loving kindness for her mother in law, whom she has bound herself to by, by covenant under God. And then, listen. To Boaz's response, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Okay, so what is the first kindness? Her first kindness was her binding herself to her mother-in-law and looking after her. Do you remember that from chapter 1? She, she even calls curses down on herself if she were to separate herself from her mother-in-law. It's, it's the deepest level of connection you can find. And so, what is the second? Then she remains and she waits for her kinsman redeemer, who could redeem the whole family instead of going after a young man and marrying and not providing for her mother-in-law. She could have done that. She could have married a young man, rich, poor, it didn't matter. But by law, under under the the, the structure of the, the Israelite community, then 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 the land that belonged to Elimelech does not go to Naomi and Ruth. Then only Ruth is protected. Do you see what Boaz sees in Ruth here? Keep listening. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Where else in Scripture do we read about a worthy woman? Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. And in the Hebrew canon, so in, 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 in our canon, the way that the, the books of the Bible are structured... Ruth comes between Judges and 1 Samuel, right? Because that is, the, that is the timeline sequence that fits, right? This takes place during the days of the Judges. So it comes after Judges, so it's this sort of intermediary story. And then 1 Samuel is with um, Samuel and David, right? The, the lineage that comes from this relationship. But in the Hebrew canon, the way that they organize it, the book of Ruth follows directly after the book of Proverbs, And so the question that is asked at the very last chapter in Proverbs is, An excellent wife, who can find? And you turn the page, and the answer is Boaz. Boaz has found an excellent wife. She is a Proverbs 31 woman. She has high character. She has covered herself under the banner of Yahweh. And the people in the gates of the city praise her, just as the Proverbs 31 says and describes. Boaz says, my townspeople recognize you and praise you, even though you're from Moab, the land that's associated with Lot's incest, a totally broken lineage. Even though you are from Moab, even though you are a foreigner. And I reckon Boaz could care less about Ruth being a foreigner And do you know why? Because of Boaz's mother. If you turn with me, big shift here, to the New Testament, and turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what do we find in verses 4 and 5? And Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Boaz's mother was Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute from the book of Joshua. When your mother was a Canaanite prostitute who converted and followed Yahweh, then you understand the grace of God and the universality of His reign and control over all humankind. Not by tribes, not by tongue. He's not just Yahweh, the God of Israel, He is Yahweh, the God of of this earth. Of all people. So to him, Ruth being a Moabite was not the issue, as it probably would have been for the rest of Israel. Was she a Proverbs 31 woman was the issue for Boaz? Did she meet these qualifications, this standard? I'm not going to judge her based on her past lineage or where she comes from or any of those things. What, is it her, does her character match what I am looking for, the, the, the qualifications that God looks for in people? The same way that Samuel passes over all of the brothers until he says, it's none of these. Do you have any other kids? Well, We have one in the field, but he's a, he's a baby. And this is the one that's chosen. It is the character that matters here. Back to our story. And now we see the potential issue that was holding Boaz back from acting as a redeemer. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So Boaz knew that there was a nearer redeemer and perhaps was waiting on him to act as such. And this could derail the plans of Naomi and Ruth, but then, and this is our final point, a generous promise, a generous promise. Listen to Boaz's promise to Ruth. Remain tonight and in the morning, if, you will re- if he will redeem you, the near Redeemer, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. If the nearer Redeemer chooses to redeem, chooses not to redeem, then I will do it. And how does he display this promise? Does he say, just, just take my word for it? So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This is Boaz's way of protecting her reputation since nothing happened there. One of the commentaries said uh, it it wasn't a case of uh, what happens on the threshing floor stays on the threshing floor. Uh, There's nothing happened. And again, it was done secretly in the first place. This was why Naomi came up with the plan was because that Ruth couldn't just walk up to Boaz. It's not like nowadays where you can go and find the manager and just have it out with him. She couldn't do that. She couldn't just go up to him in the workday and make a marriage proposal. It would have created a stir amongst the workers. What what is the relationship between these two? That's why Naomi tells her to go at night when he was on the threshing floor to, to follow all these strange sequence of events that we can have trouble following. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. So once again, a display of generosity. He's already done that with the roasted grain and the, and the, the, the amount of uh, barley that she gleans uh, and asks the men to watch over her, protect her, for, and to stay with the women. So he's, he's, he's got generosity, but it, it is a generous promise at that. A promise of redemption and a display of generosity to show that he is genuine, And remember this time period of the judges. You you probably were not likely to trust people. People's word was not something that you just took. Then she went to the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You are must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. We talked about how Naomi displays hesed, loving kindness towards Ruth, and, and Ruth displays it towards Naomi, and here is Boaz displaying hesed, loving kindness, faithful love towards both women, I mean, these are three very unlikely characters. A woman who left Israel with her family to find prosperity. She leaves full. She comes, uh, the Lord rather, brings her back empty. A foreign woman from Moab who has been widowed at a young age, who has gone into a, a, a foreign land and done nothing but exhibit godly character. And a man, a worthy man, though the son of a prostitute, who is willing to redeem these women. And the chapter ends with this line from Naomi. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The man will not rest until the issue is resolved. The man will not rest from his work until it is resolved. The man will not rest until our status of security, of rest, is restored. Our being able to live without fear of uncertainty or doubt The man will not rest until our status of rest is restored. And that will bring about the providence of final rest for all of God's children. For through this story, God would bring his servant David and ultimately his son Jesus. Not a redeemer of a small parcel of land, but a redeemer of the heavens and earth purchasing what was once lost and he will not just give rest to a few but to all who come to him he will not only give rest from labor or or a rest from fear but eternal rest for eternity And the background of his people are marred, marred by sin. There is no one righteous of their own. We are all Moabites in this sense. But all require the cleansing blood of the Redeemer. So we rejoice in the invisible hand of God that was at work in the lives of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. And the picture that it gives us of the character of our God in His ultimate redeeming work, drawing His people from inside and from outside, from every tribe, nation, tongue. May God be praised. May God be praised. May we be people who exhibit chesed love to Him, to one another, May we be people of rest. Let's pray. Father, when our world speaks of peace and rest, I think they only think of the first two. Having a rest from labor, which is a good thing. This is a grace that you give us. And having a peace and a security from the fears around us. But you and in your infinite wisdom have set eternity in the hearts of all of mankind. And so as the world wrestles and tries to find things that fill that eternal void in the hearts of every person, we look to you and say, thank you. Thank you that you have given us that eternal rest through your Son. This totally unlikely story of totally unlikely characters, and yet it is the line of redemption through which you have worked. And it's a reminder to us, that the invitation is not for those who look and act a certain way, but it is for whomsoever would believe. So, Father, we pray that that longing for eternal rest would become even more apparent in these days. And that You, Father, would give us the words to speak, that we would be able to tell people of the hope that is within us and doing it with chesed, loving kindness, gentleness, respect. Oh, Father, that you would stir our hearts at the good news that this brings forth and that that good news would be on our lips wherever we go, sowing seeds, speaking truth, as we prayed earlier, that this would be our act of worship. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.